So what do you think about the service? Well, let's just say things have changed a lot. Where's the robes and the ties in the confessional booth? I didn't see it. Confessional booth? I mean, it's cool and all, but I know for sure I'm wearing jeans next time. Oh, so there's gonna be a next time. I didn't say that. Actually, you did. Well, if I ever decide to come back, then I'll wear my jeans. Well, let's hope that's the case. I gotta tell you, it really threw me off when I saw people raising their hands. I thought they were trying to ask the singers a question. I was so confused. <laughs> it's just a way of worshiping. It's us connecting to God and showing our devotion to Him. Well, how do you know when He's trying to connect with you? I mean, you're here, right? That's a start. And sometimes it's just a feeling that can't be put into words. Well, I can relate to that. It feels kind of weird. So what do we have to do to get some service around here? Back to the service, the church service. What did you think about the message? Is there gonna be a test next week? The test? Of course not. <laughs> Good, totally relieved. I saw everyone taking notes and I started to sweat. <laughs> too funny. No, it's just like I do it as a review so I can look back and see it as a reminder. Hmm, that makes sense. So I noticed that you changed the subject when you said you felt something. If you don't mind me asking, what does that mean? Well, it terrifies me and excites me, but I'd really like to know a little more. And I'd really like some service around here. Do you want to go somewhere else? We can talk about this somewhere else. Yes, let's okay. go. Let's go. Okay. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing today, guys? How many, so how many of you were here Friday night by hand clap? How many are here Friday night? As Pastor Farrell used to say, if they didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> Powerful time together Friday night. If you missed it, all I can say is I'm sorry. <laughs> Powerful time together here. And I trust that uh, next time we have one, you'll make arrangements to be here because uh, God's really moving among us and we're excited about what he's doing uh, in our midst. I'm so glad that you're here today and I hope you'd be blessed because we're in a series that we're calling The Journey of Life. And what we're talking about is, is that, that reality that becoming a Christian is not an event. It's not a decision. It, in fact, is a commitment that starts a journey. It, actually, I, it, an adventure. I grew up singing songs like, uh, hide me in the cleft of the rock, and that has not been my experience as a Christian. It's more like buckle me to the rocket ship, here we go, kind of thing. And, uh, and so we're talking about that journey. We're talking about that adventure and kind of subtitling the whole series, fully devoted to become fully mature. What we're trying to do in this series is a couple of things. One of them is to help all of us to understand that there is a difference between being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely sold out, all in, committed. That's the definition. I, I'm not, not holding anything back. I am his. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But that's different from being a fully mature follower of Christ, which means to say that I am at the stage of development that I should be as I continue in this journey, because maturity is defined by being at the appropriate level of development for every stage of, of life. And so we're talking about those two distinctives, the commitment that, is, that leads to a journey, the devotion that leads ultimately 
to maturity. In fact, last week, I'll get a little chart to kind of break it down for us. What last week we laid out that this idea of being fully devoted has three primary elements that you've been reborn, you've committed your life to Christ, you were dead and now you're alive, you were blind and now you see, and, uh, and he gave you a fresh start. Then you've settled the authority issue. Jesus is now in charge of who I am and who I'm becoming. And then ultimately, I am committed to growing to maturity. Let me say, as I did last week, that, that I, I've dealt with an awful lot of people in churches over the years who have taken the first two steps. Maybe they took the first two steps 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but somehow the third steps got lost in the shuffle. This idea that I, that I should always be growing to the point of, of being at the right place of maturity for the season that I'm in has gotten, gotten lost in the shuffle because I think I've somehow arrived, but the Apostle Paul late in life said, I still haven't arrived. I'm still going. I'm still pressing toward the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And so week by week, we're unpacking these maturity levels, and we're kind of talking about what does it mean to be at the seeker level, the infant level, the teen level, the adult level, <coughs> and ultimately the parent level of maturity. I, I promised you last week, and, and, uh, and I'll remind you or let you that are new know that on the last Sunday when we talk about the parent level, I'm going to give you a, a maturity assessment tool that I copyrighted several years ago. And uh, That'll help you to assess where you are. We'll unpack that on that day. So plan to be here on that Sunday, September 9th, September 9th, and we'll give you that assessment tool for you to kind of get a look at where you are. I wrote that assessment tool again several years ago and copyrighted it, and, and I was asked to present it at the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, to the student body. And so I presented it to them and walked through it and then opened the floor for questions and answers. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the students, seminary student, said, how long did it take you to write this? And before I could answer the question, the dean of the school said, 35 years of ministry? <laughs> that's, I guess that's the answer, but hopefully it'll be meaningful to you when we get to there. So you ready to get into it? Can just personal note, okay, before we get into it. Uh, please lean into this series. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, lean into this one. I want you to every week to ask, as we walk through these maturity levels, I want you to ask yourself honestly, is that where I am? What's my next step? You see, God couldn't care less how far you've come on this journey. He only cares about where you're headed from here. We don't care how far you've come on this journey. We only care about your direction from this point forward. So please lean into this one. Take advantage of this opportunity and, and ask yourself, where am I and where am I going? You see, it's important to determine where you are before you can chart a map to where you're going, right? Make sense? So that's true in your spiritual life as well. So let's get into it. Today, we're talking about the seeker stage of this journey. And the good news is the seeker stage is filled with all kinds of wonderful rewards. Here's one of them from our Savior himself, Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. It's on the screens, on the TV. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Ask and you will be given what you ask for. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives. Anyone who seeks finds. If only you will know, knock, the door will be open. Wonderful promise from God, but it begs the question, what exactly are you asking for? What are you seeking? What door are you knocking on? What is it that you're trying to find? Now, let me just make sure we're clear about this. I hope that every one of us in this room or, 
are seekers at one level or another. Every one of us are seekers. I hope that, uh, that you never stop being a seeker. I am certainly a seeker. In fact, I've got a, an ancient Hebrew prayer on the wall in my office that goes like this. From the cowardice that shrinks from new truths, from the laziness that is content with half-truths, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, oh, God of truth, deliver us. There's no point at which we stop the seeking journey. I had the privilege of studying under Dr. Gordon Fee in seminary many years ago. Dr. Fee, one of the leading uh, biblical scholars on the planet, wrote a large part of the New International, uh, New International Commentary series, written a number of books, speaks biblical Hebrew and and Greek, like we speak English better than I speak English. Um, he's just an amazing uh, man of God and, and wonderful character. But he used to be introduced sometimes as a theologian, as one of the great theologians of our day. And, and, I, and he used to rail on us as students. He would say, don't ever call me a theologian. I am not a theologian. Do not call me that. I am a student of the Bible. I am a student of the Word of God. You see the difference between the two things is that people who decide on their theology, which is just a fancy word for this is what I believe about God. Once I settle on my theology, if you aren't careful, you will start to read the Bible through the lens of the theology that you have defined for yourself. Hello, are you out there? And so everything becomes a proof text or ignored, depending on whether it fits what you've already decided to believe. And hear me, guys, your theology is not the final authority. The Word of God is the final authority. And so you're never a theologian, you're a student of the Bible. And if you read something in the Bible that challenges your theology, then what do you do? You say, whoa, I better study this some more. And you read and read and study and pray and talk to other people who know and believe the Word of God until you get a sense of where you're supposed to be, until you read something else that challenges you again, and then you move again. So I'm not a theologian. I am a student of the Word of God. Dr. Fee taught me that, if nothing else. So let's get into it, okay? In this stage, so we're all seekers all of our lives, but now we're talking about that seeker stage that is kind of the beginning or even the pre-step to the stages of spiritual maturity in Christ. This is the stage where you're coming to recognize there's a void in your life, there's something missing, you're not quite sure what it is, but you've come to recognize it. If you were here last week, you saw last week's video that set up the sermon. Uh, Laura was not interested in going to church at all. She thought, forget about it. She threw the card down until her longtime friend called her and kind of pressed her a little bit, and she thought, well, you know, I like this person. She wants me to go. I hate to say no. So she finally agrees to go to church because her friend asked her to go with her. Today, we see them going to lunch after that church service, and clearly something's going on. She's not entirely comfortable with what's going on. She changes the subject to what's for lunch or where's the waiter and that kind of stuff because she's kind of going, There's, ah, yeah, it was exciting, but it was scary, and I didn't understand. There's a lot of confusion often in the seeker stage of life, but as I mentioned last week, week by week, we're going to watch Laura on her journey as she goes through these stages and as Rachel walks with her on those uh, stages. So at the seeker stage, there's something stirring. There's something missing Quite often, seekers don't know what it is. And hear me, uh, Jesus' promise is true. If you seek, you will find. But if Laura is seeking to fill that void in her life, 
then there is, in fact, a certain kind of seeker that she needs to be. Let me say that again because it's critical. If, if you've come to recognize there is something missing, there's a missing piece, there's a void in your life, and you want to fill that void, there is a certain kind of seeker that you need to be. If you seek, you will find that's true, but if there's a certain thing that you're seeking, then you have to be a certain kind of seeker. That said, the Bible actually identifies three kinds of seekers. And so as we walk through this, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I that kind of seeker? Because we're going to land on the kind of seeker that ultimately fills that void, but I want you to just kind of honestly assess where am I in this journey. Let's get into it. The first type of seeker the Bible identifies is what I call the crisis seeker, or, or you could call it the relief seeker if you wanted to, but they've come to a place in their lives where there is a crisis going on, and they, they begin to wonder if maybe God could answer that need, meet that need, solve this crisis, solve that problem, and so they begin to seek God for relief in the crisis that they're in, the best known example that we know of in the Bible, of course, is the nation of Israel during Old Testament days. Uh, they would get into one crisis or another, and, uh, and they'd cry out to God, and God would rescue them, and then they'd drift away from him until the next crisis came, and then they would call out to God again, and they did it over and over and over and over again. An example, when they were in Egypt as slaves. They're crying out to God to get freed from their slavery. God speaks to Moses from burning shrubbery in the desert. Okay, maybe one bush. Anyway, uh, he talks to him, and he says, I've heard the cries of my people. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You've seen Ben-Hur. You know the story, right? Ten Commandments, you've seen that one? So Charlton Heston goes back to Yul Brenner and says, let my people go. You got it, right? You haven't read the book, but you've seen the movie. Okay, here we go. Uh, and so he goes, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. These slaves are too valuable. They're building the pyramids for me. I'm going to be buried in one of, them one of these days. I can't let them go. Please let them go. God, and God says, okay, well, I'll send some plagues, get his attention. Finally, after 10 plagues, he relents and lets them go. Within days, within two or three days, they're out there in the desert. They've come up on the Red Sea, and they're kind of in what I call God's cul-de-sac, mountains on each side, sea in front of them, Pharaoh's armies coming after them. And what do they do? They start whining and complaining again. They didn't just say, oh, God, we need you. They said, you know, back in Egypt, we had onions and leeks, and we weren't going to die, and we shouldn't have to deal with this. This is so sad. Moses calls on God, and God delivers them by parting the Red Sea. They go across on dry land. The sea comes back and drowns Pharaoh's army. They're now free to make the 11-day journey to the promised land of Canaan. Takes them 40 years. Because every time they got into crisis, they started whining and complaining again. Ran short of water, started whining and complaining. Uh, God gave them water from a rock. Another time they ran short of water, they started complaining. God turned some bitter waters into sweet waters at the lake called Mara. I mean, over and over and over, God rescues them from the crisis, and then they drift away from him again, get into another crisis, and over and over and over, it happens. In fact, uh, the book of Judges chapter 2 kind of summarizes the whole Old Testament history of the nation of Israel in verse 12 when it says, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. Now hear me, I did not tell you that to give you a history lesson. I told you that because I've seen that pattern over and over and over again in people's lives where they come to the Lord to get relief from a crisis. 
I've just seen it so many times. I mean, their marriage is falling apart. The kids are out of control. The financial problems are overwhelming them. they got drug addiction issues. That, whatever the issue is, <clears throat> they hear that this church is a place where people like me can come. Actually, I had a guy tell me that one time out in the parking lot. He said, I heard this is a place where guys like me can come. And I said, yeah, man, you're right. I don't know what guys like you are, but you're right, man. This is the place. Come on in. You know, afterwards he said, you didn't tell me you were the preacher. (laughs) But they hear this is a church where we can come and and get help and hope. And so they come in this place and they pray and, and, and God helps them. He wants to help them, and we help them. We're agents of God, and we help them. And, and maybe even they stick around for a little while afterwards, and then, and then one day we start noticing, have you seen that so-and-so or that couple lately? You know, I haven't seen them either. What in the world? And so we reach out to them, and, and they start saying, well, yeah, well, I've just kind of, you know, been busy and lots of stuff going on, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're coming back, we're coming back. And, and we wonder, we hope, we pray that they will, but, in fact, we wonder if they will come back when the next crisis comes. So many stories like that through the years. Um, one couple came to the very first service, the launch service of the church that Kim and I planted in Chesapeake uh, back in 1989. They came to that very first service, and I met them. I could call their names uh, now. It's been 30 years ago, but I remember them well. And they stayed for a few weeks, a few months, and then they drifted away. And again, excuses, couldn't come. Uh, sometime later, they came back. Turns out they were in crisis. We helped them through the crisis, and they left. This happened over and over and over again for 20 years. And every time they came in, I would see them. I would recognize them. I would say, welcome home. So glad you guys are here. But as I'm hugging them, I'm praying, oh, God, let them get past the crisis seeker stage of this journey somehow this time. It took 20 years. And they finally came. And they came this time and they took the ownership class and they joined a small group and they got on a serve team and they started making friends. Uh, Roger got water baptized. The wife already had been, but had been far away from the Lord. And, and they, so they recommitted their lives to Christ and they began to watch wonderful things happen in their lives. Uh, and he contracted cancer and died. And I was so glad that they had the the support, that she had the support of a church family, that they had the support of the church family during that season, and she had it uh, as she grieved his loss. But I was so sad that they missed out on 20 years of the abundant life because they never got past the crisis seeker mode of this journey. Is, Is this resonating? Now, that's the good news story. Another couple called me one day, called the office, and I took the call, and this lady said, is this, is, are you the preacher that's preaching on marriage? And I said, well, every now and then, but not currently. She said, well, I got a flyer that says you're preaching a series of messages on marriage. Well, we had sent that flyer out 18 months before, and... Uh, she, she, and I told her that, and she said, oh, well, it's been on my refrigerator ever since. <laughs> and, uh, and my husband and I want to come this Sunday. I said, well, come on. I'd love to have you. Please do. And uh, so they did. They came. And we met and uh, 
decided we would get into some marriage counseling. I actually took the recordings of that marriage series, and I said, tell you what, you listen to a message, make an appointment, come in, and we'll talk about what you heard, and we'll walk through that series privately, just invested in that couple. And about six weeks into that process, we came in, sat down, and the man looked at me, and he said, before we get started today, preacher, uh, I need to clear something up here. I said, yeah, what's up? Uh, he said, uh, it occurred to me this week when I was listening to this sermon, you're trying to change me. <laughs> well, Gary, I'm not actually trying to change you. I'm trying to save your marriage. And if you need to change for that to happen, then I guess that's between you and God. He said, I'm not interested, and he got up and walked out. The next I heard from them, he had pancreatic cancer, and he died in a matter of weeks. And ultimately, his wife came back to the church after a long season of grieving and depression and came to the Lord as a single lady. And I thought, somehow, if we could help people get past the seeking for relief from the crisis, maybe we wouldn't have to tell these sad stories. But I need you to understand, guys, God is loving, and God is patient, and God is caring. And God not only knows what you're going through and cares about what you're going through, but he has the power to do something about what you're going through. He wants to help give you relief from the crisis that you're in, but he has not promised that he will do that over and over and over and over again forever. The children of Israel, he finally said to Moses, nobody from this generation except Joshua and Caleb are going to get into the promised land that I promised you. Because of your fear, because of your doubt, because all you've done has been a crisis seeker, I, I'm not even going to let you in. You can see it but you're not even getting in. Please hear me, guys. God cares about you, but he has not promised that he will bail you out of crisis after crisis after crisis forever and ever and ever. you got to move beyond that stage. The second type of seeker that the Bible talks about and that I've seen a lot of over the years, perhaps you have too, is what I call the benefit seeker. And the benefit seeker, this is the type of person who sees a Christian. Maybe they have a Christian friend, kind of like Laura in our video, and Rachel's been her longtime friend, and she sees what's going on in Rachel's life. She doesn't understand it, but she sees some good things happening, and she's kind of curious about what that might be. And so she sees love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. She sees that operating. She sees marriages being restored and finances being uh, fixed and finalized and, and just sees really good stuff, physical healings happening. And, and so eventually they start saying, you know, I want that. I, I want those things in my life. So maybe I'll become a seeker in order to have those benefits in my life. In fact, I, can I just be honest with you? I think most of us initially come to Jesus as benefit seekers. I mean, I came to Jesus for fire insurance, Somebody told me there was a heaven to be gained and a hell to be avoided, and I said, I don't want to go there. <laughs> and I said, oh, Jesus, rescue me from that eternity. I don't want that one. And if that's how you come to him, guess what he will do? He will welcome you with open arms. But eventually, to get this hole filled in your soul, you've got to move beyond the benefit. The classic example 
uh, in the New Testament is Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Tell you a little background, back story on this one. Um, Philip and his crew has gone down to the city of Samaria to, to do a, a tent revival. And they have a phenomenal revival in the city. I mean, people are getting saved. They're getting healed. Demons are being uh, cast out of people that are possessed. I mean, it's just this amazing thing is going on. Acts chapter 8, verse 8 says, there is great joy in the city. So they rock the town with, with introducing them to Jesus Christ and people coming to know Jesus. Now, enter the story, a sorcerer named Simon who has been wowing the city for years with his magic and, uh, and making his living off of it. So he goes to the revival, and, uh, and in verse 13, the Bible says that he accepts Christ and he's baptized. So far, so good, right? Do you hear like this? It's so good? Yeah. Well, then Peter and his crew comes to say, okay, we've introduced you to Jesus, but have you heard yet that you can be baptized, filled, not, ba- not just baptized in water, but you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I hadn't heard of that. And so they begin to teach them about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They start laying hands on people, and they're being filled with the Spirit. And Simon goes, I want that. I like that. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, give me some of that. Now, again, so far so good, right? Here's the problem. Uh, He didn't actually want the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he wanted was the benefit of doing what they did in order to get the attention that they got. You see the difference? Verse 18 through 20 tells us what happened. Then Simon saw this, that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles placed their hands upon people's heads. He offered money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, your money, come on, read it with me, your money perish with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. What's he saying? He's saying that the benefits of being a fully mature follower of Christ and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and actually making a difference in people's lives is on the other side of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. You've got to get it in the right order, and then you're seeking Him not for your own gain. You're genuinely seeking Him for what He can do for you and through you. In other words, move past what's in it for me. And again, I won't take time to tell you stories. I guess if you've been in church walking with the Lord any length of time, you've probably been at this stage. Maybe you know some people that are at that stage where everything is about, well, what's in it for me? People come to me sometimes and say, well, the church just isn't meeting all my needs. And so I've got to go find another church that will meet all my needs. And, you know, and I, for years I tried to placate, I tried to soften, I tried to ease people. And, and uh, one fellow came to me one time, he used to come all the time, and he said, there's just no meat. I need some meat in your sermons. There's just no meat in your sermons. I need some depth. And I said, dude, you, aren't, you already aren't doing all the stuff you know. You want me to give you some more stuff that you're not going to do when you know about that? <laughs> and then I said, what are you doing to feed yourself during the week? Well, what do you mean? Well, you, you're saying that the church is not meeting all of your needs. What are you doing to feed yourself during the week? You understand that an adult, when they get hungry, they don't scream and cry till somebody feeds them. They go make a sandwich. <laughs> Side trip, but you got it, right? 
Move beyond the benefit stage if you're really going to get this thing. So i got to move on, but here's what I'm trying to say. If you're a crisis seeker, a relief from the crisis seeker, hear this. God cares about what you're going through. He really, really does, and he really, really wants to help, and we do too. If you're a benefit seeker, yes, there are wonderful benefits to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All those things are available to you. The power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life that carries you forward at a pace that you never could have gone on your own, taking you to places you never could have gone by yourself. The Holy Spirit making intercession for you and through you when you don't even know how to pray. I mean, there's just so many benefits. Not to mention you get forever with him. Lots of benefits. But if you're looking to fill the void in your life, you got to move beyond the crisis relief seeker stage and you got to move beyond the benefits stage all the way to what the Hebrew writer called the earnest seeker stage. The earnest seeker, found in Hebrews chapter 11, is described this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who, what's the word? Earnestly seeks him. So now we've got a qualifier. Jesus said, he who seeks finds. But now the Hebrew writer is saying, yes, that's true, but if you want uh, rewards from him, if you want him, then there's a kind of seeking you have to do, and that's called earnest seeking. When you come to realize that the emptiness that you feel is in fact a God-shaped void and only God can fill that void, all you have to do is believe that he exists and that he rewards those who in fact earnestly seek him, and when that happens, he will fill the void. So what's that word earnest? In the Greek, the original manuscript, it is the word exoteo, and exoteo means to search, it means to crave, even demand. So the idea is coming to that place Beyond relief from the current crisis, beyond the what's in it for me, if I become a Christian, I'll get these wonderful blessings. Get to that place where I just just need Jesus. I just need God in my life. I need to connect with the one who made me and made me on purpose. I need to connect with the God who loves me. I need to fill this empty space in my life, and it is a God-shaped void, and only God can fill it. I need Him, not just what He can do for me, not just what happens to me when I do. I need Him. In fact, I don't know if I can make it another day until I have Him. I'm not just searching. I'm craving. I'm demanding, kind of like Jacob and In Genesis 32, when he wrestled with the angel all night, and he said, I will not let you go till you bless me. This deep desire to know God and know him for who he really is. And that's where Laura in our video is now. She hasn't established a relationship with Jesus yet. There's there's something stirring in her heart. She's not even sure what it is yet. She's not even sure that it's God at work, but We know God is beginning to do something in her heart, and she's blessed to have Rachel in her life to walk with her on this journey. Now, that's huge. I want to make sure you get that. She is blessed to have Rachel in her life 
to help her walk through these stages. Now, let me segue for a minute because this is a really important side note in the message. I've been talking so far, and we'll come back to uh, all of us in this room who are seekers and specifically this idea of the seeker stage of our spiritual journey. But I want to talk to you parents for a minute. I need to talk to you who have a seeker in your life, someone that you're trying to help, someone that you're reaching out to, someone, you're the Rachel and you've got a Laura in your life. I need you to understand something. When you're working with a seeker and they come to that place where they realize something is missing, more times than not, (coughs) we intuitively know that it is a relationship that's missing. And that's why an awful lot of seekers who don't believe or necessarily understand that, that Jesus is the answer or that the church is the answer, they will start looking for relationships, but they will assume it's a human relationship that they need. Now, track with me because this is critical, okay? Um, and so they will start looking for a human relationship. That, that's why cults can have the kind of power that they do because there are people out there seeking and they don't know what the real answers are and they find somebody who accepts them and welcomes them and they get drawn into these cult things because they know they need a relationship to fill the void. They think it's a human relationship that will help them get there. So you're a follower of Christ. Being in relationship with Jesus is just as real to you as the chair that you're sitting in right now. I got two amens. Three amens? Six? Twelve amens? The relationship with Jesus, I mean, he's just as real to you as if he was sitting next to you right now. You, it's tangible. You can touch it. You've seen his presence, felt his presence, recognized what it means to have a relationship with him, and, and it's changing your life to have that relationship with him. The seeker, it, it's too distant. It's too abstract. They, they aren't there yet. They don't get that, and so you need to understand that they realize <coughs> something's going on But they aren't sure at this stage that it is Jesus that's calling to them. And so here's what I need you to hear. At this stage, they may be open to you, but they're not necessarily open to your faith. So if you immediately go into a sermon on how they need Jesus, immediately go into a turn or burn, die and fry kind of dialogue, chances are they will run away from you. And it will not be their fault, it will be you who pushed them away. Because you need to understand that they may be open to you way before they are open to your faith. It's critical that we understand this stuff, guys. Now, here's what you need to help them see in time. And this takes time. I've done this, I've told you before, I've done this 23 times in the last 47 years with seekers and brought them all the way through this journey. And in every one of those cases, I had to deal with this reality eventually in time. Some of them happened in a few weeks. Some of them took several months. But every time I've had to go through this process. You guys familiar with the 80-20 rule? You heard of the 80-20 rule? It's called the Pareto principle. You see it in business. You see it in churches. Uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Not here, of course, but, you know, we're 80% of the people do the work. I mean, it's right. Come on. Yeah, right? You're not on a serve team yet? Get on one. Come on. Test drives right out there. Go see them. All right? But we know that's true. 80% of the people, uh, 20% of the people, 80% of the work, uh, it's just reality. Well, it's true in relationships too. Here's what I want you to get. Um, God created us to need relationships. Love God, love people. That's, that's what he said to do. But he created us to need both vertical relationship and horizontal relationship. 
That said, there is no human relationship on the planet that will meet 100% of your relational needs. Does not exist. Not a husband, not a wife, not a co-worker, not a pastor, not a fellow church member, not a sister or a brother or a mother or a father. There is not a human being on the planet that can meet 100% of your relational needs because there's always going to be that God-shaped void that only he can fill. Is this making sense? So here's what I've seen. Just a little side trip on that one. Uh, Here's what I've seen. I've seen people married to an 80 percenter. You know, he's stable. He works hard. He brings his money home. He loves his kids. But he ain't exciting. He ain't romantic. He don't light her fire like he used to. And then she goes to work thinking that he's supposed to meet 100% of her relational needs. And then she goes to work and she meets a guy who meets the 20%. And before you know it, she's walked away from the 80%er to be in relationship with the 20%er. And then one day she wakes up, usually within a year or two, and goes, My Lord, what have I done? I left an 80%er for a 20%er? How did that happen? You've seen it and I've seen it. Maybe some of you have been down that road and you're paying the price for it. Wherever you are, hear me. God loves you. You've come to the right place. We want to help you. I've worked through all the issues of life that we all deal with in life. But hear me, guys. If you're helping a seeker come through this journey, you have to help them to realize that while they are open to you and they like you, you cannot fill the God-shaped void in their life. I mean, even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in this idyllic setting where everything was beautiful and wonderful and lovely and, and, and there were no kids to discipline and no finances to stress over and no in-laws to, to deal with. I mean, none of that stuff existed. They still, the minute God got out of the equation, death entered their relationship. God has to be in the center of the relationship for it to work. So eventually your job is to help them understand that, yes, you'll be their friend, but ultimately you're not the meter of their needs. You are the bridge to the one who is the meter of the needs. Who's the bridge? Somebody say, we are the bridge. So what do you do? How do you help seekers realize the relationship they really need? Well, Titus 2.10 says, show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. They're seekers. doesn't mean they're ready for a sermon unless it's the type of sermon that's lived, not spoken. They're ready for that one. Prove yourself trustworthy. Be yourself. Be your best self. Be your God-honoring self. Don't hide the fact that you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, but don't jam it down their throat either. Love them, care about them, be their friend. Spend time with them, show concern for them, be the bridge. And when you're ready, here's what Peter said do, 1 Peter 3, 5, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Hear me, guys, everybody's hurting somewhere, and if you befriend a seeker and and do those things I'm describing long enough, they will eventually open up and say to you something like, I don't get it, you're dealing with some of the same junk that I am, but you seem to roll with the punches. What's the deal? 
you seem to be able to process through this stuff. And I, man, I'm wallowing over here. What is the deal? When that day comes, you just simply say, his name is Jesus Christ. This is who I was, and then I met Jesus, and this is who I'm becoming. And here's what I want you to understand. When you get to that point, you're about to move into the parent stage. We'll unpack in detail in a few weeks. And it is one of the most exciting stages in your Christian experience. But for now, live trustworthy. Make the gospel attractive by the way you live and be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Got it? Got it? Got it? Let me go back to you who might be seekers, whether you're in the room or you're watching online or you're watching this video later. If you're a seeker, if you recognize there's a God-shaped void in your heart, Something's missing. You're not even sure the church has the answers or that God has the answers or that he is the answer. I need you to hear me say, no one in the universe loves you as much as Jesus does. Nobody. God made you to be in relationship with him. He made you to be the recipient of his love and of his grace and of his help. He wants to help you through the crises of life, and he wants you to accrue all the benefits that come from being in relationship with him. But he wants so much more for you than that. He wants to be in loving, dynamic relationship with you. He wants to do life with you day by day. That's all he's ever wanted. In fact, here's how he said it through the prophet Jeremiah to that Old Testament Israel of nation crowd that kept calling out in crisis and drifting away. Here's how he said it to them, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you've been in church very long, you've probably heard that verse somewhere along the way. If you read Christian memes on Facebook, you've probably seen that verse quoted. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and bless you and not to harm you. We all love that verse, but you have to know the context of that verse to get the full impact of what he's saying. At the time Jeremiah said those words, the nation of Israel were captives in Babylon. And they'd been told that they were going to be in that captivity for 70 years, three generations they were going to be in captivity. And they're calling out in the crisis, oh God, rescue us from this captivity. And so what we're reading in these verses is God's response to their cry in fact, I paraphrased it. Pastor Jim paraphrased Can we bring it up? Here we go. This is God saying to them in the midst of that crisis, I get it. I know you're seeking relief from your pain more than you are seeking to know me right now. Read it with me. But when you learn the plans I have for you, I'm confident that your heart will shift and you will begin to seek me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. And when does that happen? When are the bondages broken? When are you set free? When you get past the crisis relief stage, you get past the I need the benefit stage all the way to I want to know him. Go back to Jesus' promise that we started with and hear my words. The answer to your asking 
the finding to your seeking, the opening to your knocking is not just relief from the current crisis or the benefits of being a Christ follower. It is a living, breathing, dynamic relationship with God. And he wants that with you. He wants that with you. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, for wanting that with us? In fact, here's his words to us, and I'll hush. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You see, it's not just you knocking. It's him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. And he with me. Bow your heads with me, would you? Just in the stillness of this moment, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I, I want to bring you to a point of decision. If I ask you if you were a Christian before the service, you might have said yes. If I ask you if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died for our sins, rose from the grave, you might have said, yeah, yeah, I believe that. If I ask you if you thought this was a cool church, you'd probably say, yeah, man, this is a really cool church. I like this church. If I ask you if these are nice people, you'd, you'd say, yeah, these people are pretty nice. Yeah. But at the end of the day, none of that trumps the bottom line, which is do you have a personal intimate, living, dynamic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's what he wants. That's what he came to give. That's what he died to provide. So if you're not absolutely sure that you've established that relationship with him, will you pray a simple prayer with me now? That's it? Yeah, that's it. Just a simple prayer. Jesus, I recognize that you are the only one who can fill the void in my life. And I'm sorry for the way I look for other things to fill it. Other people, other activities, other substances, other accomplishments. I'm sorry, but here I am. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. At the end of the day, it's about you. So forgive me. Give me a fresh start today in relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their minds right now. And I pray that you give them the quiet assurance that not only have you heard their prayer, but you have forgiven their sins by authority of God's word. You've given them a fresh start. They are born again, brand new. And I pray that the journey that is before them will be as exciting and dynamic as it can be as they go through that journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? The prayer workers are coming to the altars now. They're going to be here, and 
And, and I just encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer, it, it's really important that you share that decision. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so it's important that you share what the decision that you've just made. I'd love for you to come to the altar and talk with one of these folks that's here, one of the pastors, one of our prayer team. They would love to talk with you, just pray a simple prayer with you. Nobody's going to embarrass you or single you out. We just want to give you that opportunity. And for those of you that have already established that relationship with Jesus, my prayer for you is that you go out ready. When God brings a seeker into your life, you're ready to receive them. Father, thank you for the chance to challenge our thinking in these areas. I pray that you would help us to grow in depth with you. And I thank you in advance for the good things that will come from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you next Sunday. We're talking about the infant season of the Christian experience. We'll see you here.